0: Hi, John Magliano here, and I'd like to welcome you to the first in a series of podcasts—a series of, as of yet, indeterminate length—on the topic of tax policy and tax legislation. I'm principal in charge of the federal legislative team in KPMG's Washington National Tax Office, and I, along with my colleagues, thought that these podcasts, given the current circumstances, would be a good way, maybe even the best way, to keep you current on what's happening in Washington. So, with that introduction and that preface. Let's get started on our first topic for discussion. Today we are going to first turn to that which is most timely and most pressing, the question of whether, when, how, Congress might enact additional COVID-19 relief legislation. For today, I've been joined by two colleagues, colleagues that you are probably familiar with. Uh, First is Jen Acuna. Jen is uh, a principal here in Washington National Tax, joined KPMG just about a year ago. Jen, most recently, was chief tax counsel at the Senate Finance Committee and was a principal drafter of the TCJA during her time at the Senate Finance Committee. So thank you for joining us, Jen. Welcome. Second, I'd like to welcome Tom Stout. Tom is a veteran of the uh, legislative and regulatory team, somebody that you likely know. Tom is not only a tax policy expert, but is also an expert in the areas of budgetary and economic policy as well. So thanks for joining us today, Tom. Sure, John. Well, let's start with the question of what is happening now on the Hill and what we should expect to see in terms of additional tax legislation in the short term. Because I think over this series of podcasts, we can talk short term, midterm, and even long term, but let's just start with the immediate. And one of the, I think, interesting observations that we've seen as it relates to the congressional response to the COVID-19 situation is the way they reacted in i guess what people call the coronavirus one bill the coronavirus two bill the coronavirus three bill three which was cares we even had the 3.5 bill which was a topping off of some of the provisions that were in the cares act but one of the interesting things to me anyway that was arguably unique about the way congress responded versus what we're used to seeing in tax legislation is the way that they did it and it had I think this is what we would call emergency legislation three very unique characteristics that we're not used to seeing one of them is bipartisan. Nobody directly voted against the CARES bill or or any of its previous legislation related to the COVID-19 situation. So bipartisanship at a level we just are not used to seeing. That was one aspect of it. A second aspect was the, I guess you'd call it just a general disregard for the budgetary effects of the bill. You weren't seeing people asking about how are we going to pay for this or uh, should we um, perhaps do less because we can't afford this. That just wasn't really part of the discussion. And then the final aspect that we're not really used to seeing is the speed with which this happened. Yes, you know, there was towards the end of the development of the CARES Act, there was some back and forth, but really it happened very, very quickly for a bill of this size. So I think you look at this legislation, it had three kind of unique characteristics that are different than what we're used to seeing. Bipartisanship, you know, sort of less interest in the budgetary effects, and then the overall speed with which it happened. If those are the criteria, and generally, let me ask you this question first. If those are the criteria that for, for emergency legislation and what we're used to seeing now um, as it relates to emergency reg- legislation related to COVID, do you think that dynamic still exists where we, we generally are, provide um, a bipartisan response, less pressure on the budgetary aspects of the bill, and this sort of remarkable speed? Does that dynamic still exist in your mind?
1: Well, I think that just over time, that dynamic has eroded, right? Because at first we were starting to see bill after bill after bill, right? The first bill was March 6th, then March 18th, then March 27th, and this is passage. Then April 24th, well, it's June 2020 now. The last bill that was passed, April 24th. So we're starting to see some of that speed lag, right? And recently the House released a new bill, the, the HEROES Act, and a lot of the bipartisanship that existed with respect to CARES and with respect to the others is just not present right now, right? You're starting to see headlines. You have Leader McConnell making headlines saying, this is dead on arrival. And you have a lot of the Republican senators echoing that sentiment. So at least two of those three prongs are starting to break down.
0: Well, we're going to turn to heroes in a minute, and that's a whole different topic. But Tom, let me come back to you. I mean, do you think that, the, the A, two different questions. Are those three criteria necessary, right, if we're really in this category of, you know, emergency legislation? And do you think that they still exist at this time, the, the bipartisanship, the disregard for the budget, and the speed with which we've seen previous legislation done?
2: Well, I, I agree with Jen. It's it's beginning to break down a little bit uh, some of the more controversial elements of, of the HEROES Act, the the one that's passed the House. Uh, are going to be more problematic especially given what some of the republicans are preferring in the senate And the you know, the areas of contention are, are around providing funding for state and local governments which creates something of a red state blue state divide and the idea that you know we're growing deficits it's never quite clear know, how important deficits really are. They're used as much as a political tool uh, as they are a a, a real concern. But, you know, when Republicans want to cut taxes, Democrats are concerned about deficits. And and likewise, Democrats want to propose increases in spending. uh, Republicans become concerned about deficits. Uh, And then there's one other big overriding issue where there's a a difference here uh, going into this next round, the next big round. And that's the idea of whether we ought to be providing relief for people who are out of work allowing them to stay out of work or reduce that incentive and increase incentives for them to go back to work and, and there's something of a partisan divide on that at the moment. And Those are the kinds of things they're going to have to work through uh, in order to get the ground done. I say the big round because you know, it's worth, probably worth pointing out there is one more bipartisan bill that's working its way relatively quickly through Congress and that's enhancements to the Paycheck Protection Program which sorry passed the House and probably will pass the Senate in the next week or so.
0: Right. Right. So so let me come back to that then, Tom. Let, let me just cut straight to the chase then because I agree with everything you said about sort of that, and you too, Jen, about the friction that it seems to be building around another package. Will they or will they not now do another round of COVID relief? Do, should we expect to see something else? And let's just say this summer from Congress. What do you think? Yes or no?
1: Definitely yes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's definitely, it's it's as nearly certain as things get in the legislative area. We're going to be looking at unemployment numbers coming out in the next week. Uh, this is the first week of June that you know may well exceed twenty percent and are approaching depression levels. And we're seeing a decline in GDP on an annualized basis that may hit double digits. So I think that will probably press them into doing
0: something. I agree with you both. Now, spoiler alert: that was the easy question. Here's the harder <laughs> question uh, for this audience. Yes, they probably will do another bill. Do we expect to see any tax provisions in that bill? And not just tax provisions generally for individuals, but let's just talk about business tax provisions. Do we think that we're going to see tax items in, in that regard? Tom, let me ask you first. Go ahead. Do you think we'll see tax or not?
2: I think we'll clearly see some changes in the uh, the employee retention tax credit. There seems to be a bipartisan agreement on enhancing the credit. There may be some differences about the details, but enhancing the, the RTC is... Is something I think there's agreement on where there's less agreement something's going to be controversial is, are some of the changes that were proposed in, in the in the house version of the Heroes Act to the NOL carryback provisions uh, the retroactive changes basically the biggest one to restrict uh, the loss carryback uh, to years beginning in 2018 and reinstating the loss limitation rule for partners and partnerships
0: Jen.
1: The business tax issue is a bigger issue, right? If we're talking about general tax, will there be a tax title? Yes, it is very likely to include a tax title because as Tom mentioned, there are individual provisions and there are worker benefits, right, that are going to be the focus of the next package. At least we think it will be the focus of the next package. With respect to business tax provisions, You know, there was a lot of buyer's remorse with respect to the business tax provisions that were passed in the CARES Act. I mean, just days after passage, there was an onslaught of Democratic representatives and senators talking about, well, this was snuck into the bill at the last minute and starting to kind of uh, break down those provisions that were passed in the CARES Act. So, And that's what you're starting to see now in the HEROES Act. Right? It's kind of buyer's remorse. We want to unwind what we did before. So that just really complicates the equation with respect to bipartisanship.
0: All right. Last topic for this segment. And I'm going to draw back the curtain a little bit for everybody out there. I, we're going to divulge one of our secrets. You're not supposed to do that, but why not? We're among friends so one of the you know at the beginning of the year one of the first things that we all do is get the congressional calendar and look at it and you know usually we can circle the day on which extenders are going to get enacted right you know oh in december of 13th they're going to enact extenders and we're usually only off by a day or two why because you can look at the congressional calendar and when the house and the senate are in and usually know when you know when the pace of these things is going to just make these inevitable so, let's just turn to the for our last topic here this uh, of this segment, the schedule, because I think it's really important in terms of determining when this might happen and I think it's relatively clear. So, today's June 3rd. The house is in this week, but they are scheduled after this week to be out for the rest of June. The Senate is in for the rest of June. So, Let's just write off this week because the likelihood that they're going to come up with a deal this week on anything other than the the modest bill that Tom was talking about, even that may not be likely. But that they're going to do something major on additional coronavirus legislation before the House goes seems just not going to happen. So that gives the Senate all of June to work on its package and the inability of the House to really do anything with it, arguably, until they come back towards the end of June then there's the reality that we have the fourth of July recess that then they go out and they come back what they're out a week or two after that so when I look at it it seems almost impossible that we could have the Senate produce a bill Senate House and Senate negotiate a bill and have a deal done and struck and voted on before sometime in kind of late July so Tell me why I'm wrong. Are there scenarios where that's wrong, where they could produce a bill sooner?
2: You know, I, I think it could be earlier in, in July. I, I think you're probably right about June being a time for negotiation rather than trying to pass bills. But, you know, I, I think things that are going to drive this along, if the economic numbers come out as bad as the, as they well may, I, I think that's going to push them to do something sooner than the end of July. They still may drift off into that because they do have some major areas of contention that got it resolved that we that we talked about before, but I, I think it could be earlier in July uh, when they get this together.
0: That would involve then canceling their 4th of July recess, which, uh, look, not unheard of, or calling them back early, not unheard of, not something they like to do, especially in an election year, but fair enough. That That's a possible scenario. Jen, what do you think?
1: Oh, the possibility of action in June seems really slim. I mean, it is possible. You would have to have some um, external force that is pressuring Congress to act during the remaining weeks of June, right? You, there would have to be a really bad economic report and a lot of pressure, a lot of worker pressure, a lot of home pressures to do something. And right now, we're not at a stage where unemployment benefits have expired, right? Usually that would promote a push to act sooner. And you know, even if the Senate is asked to come back sooner, you know they have to actually physically be there you know you have a lot of members that need to be there and a lot of those members are at risk of getting sick and um are in at-risk populations so i i find a very a very low chance of something happening in june unless there is you know one of these externalities that no one can predict at this point
2: one thing that is worth pointing out i think john is that you know whether whether Congress is, especially the House, is formally in session or not, is less important than it normally would be. You know, they're, even though the, the House is going to be out, they're subject to a 72-hour call of the chair, and they have the ability to vote by proxy now so it's you know the the negotiations go on behind the scenes mostly starting with the leadership so things can actually happen during what looks like a recess at the moment
0: yeah i totally agree with that that is an important possibility that they could call them back or they could vote by proxy and that makes it different than we've historically seen, although I will say they like to be in town when they're negotiating these deals. They really hate to negotiate them by distance, but that may be inevitable in this case should the Senate produce a package and the House feel compelled to act on it quickly. So that's just something to watch.
1: If history is a guide, even when there were negotiations happening, when members weren't in town, the real negotiations didn't start until Pelosi flew back into D.C. on the CARES Act. There was a lot of, you know, behind the scenes negotiating and bartering, but that really marked the real negotiations when all of the members were in town.
0: Well, we have teed up a number of topics like the Heroes Act, what the Senate is likely to do on its next version. We've teed up those topics. We sort of have teasers here in this segment. But stay tuned because the coming segments are going to address those very topics. So with that, let's wrap up today's topic. I want to thank you, Jen and Tom, for joining us. I want to thank you all for listening to us. And I hope you tune into the coming segments where we address those additional topics. Thank you. Have a good day.